today's podcast, Danny Green from the Sixers. He's going to go deep with us on all the Ben Simmons timeline stuff and Ben's return to Philadelphia and the Sixers season in general. Russell Wilson. I think everybody was just over it, and that's why he's on another football team. Life advice, including some updates on other life advice. So get excited about that. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I'm going to talk about my good friend, Russell Wilson. Uh, The trade happened a couple hours after we taped on Tuesday, and I've been able to see all the reaction and everything, and I'm just going to talk about it right now. All right, the deal. Russell Wilson, 33 this year, 34 in November. He's got two more years uh, of contract in the 20s. Great deal, considering the top quarterbacks now are about $40 million. Uh, Denver has had 10 quarterbacks since Peyton Manning. Uh, The trade itself, you get two firsts, two seconds, a fifth. They get uh, Noah Fant, the tight end, who I really like. They get Drew Locke as well. Shelby Harris at the end is 30. Actually played all of his games this year and then coming back the other way is Russell Wilson and uh, a pick back to Denver. I like the trade because it's Russell Wilson. Uh, Despite, as I've I've mentioned numerous times, I don't think there's a bigger gap between somebody that I've enjoyed watching and disliked listening to more than Russell Wilson. It would be, the only thing would be worse is if Skip Bayless got 28 a game for the Celtics. All right? So, when I look at Russell Wilson, the quarterback, this is a no-brainer. It really, to me, is a no-brainer. Now, we can get into some of the statistical stuff and say, well, you know, you want to dig in a little deeper, we can do it. I actually feel like we can do that almost with any quarterback, except for maybe a couple now, because Wilson statistically has had a bit of a drop-off since the second half of the previous season, and then he had the finger injury this year, which is actually a big part of my open that I'm going to get to a little bit later. So, yeah, like, he's got the worst QBR of his career this year. Eh, all right, whatever. Um... He averaged about 450 rushing yards per season, had 183 yards rushing in 14 games this season. Usually that does start to drop off a little bit, but at 33, going into a 34-year-old season, the way these guys are playing, the way he takes care of his body, he's an absolute stud of an athlete, which we already understand. Him being really good for another five years is a very likely outcome, and it's even more important for a Denver team that's in a division with Mahomes and Herbert and Carr, who had a bit of a resurgence of himself, so... I I just, you know, you can spend all this time hoping to draft the right guy, hoping you get somebody. They've they've tried the retread thing with, hey, Case Keenum was pretty good there for a year. Let's try that. Oh, that didn't work. Hey, we've got a motivated Joe Flacco. That didn't work. We looked like I thought they had something maybe with Trevor Simeon. That didn't work. Remember when Trevor Simeon was almost untouchable in the trade market? They even had, um, they brought Bridgewater in. They had Rippins 
uh, was it nephew that was out there and then Drew Locke who had a couple moments because like everybody now that plays quarterback in the NFL you'll have like Sunday where you throw for 323 in a pick and you're like oh you may have something and then you kind of don't because a lot of guys are still capable of putting up big numbers it's kind of like NBA scoring now on a bad basketball team where you're like oh like I had 26 you're like yeah he's not any good so to solve that problem with Russell Wilson and the fact that I think market-wise Two first, two seconds. Maybe we can get caught up in the three first things that other quarterbacks have gotten. But, you know, this league trades three firsts for somebody that we've never even seen play just because they're a draft pick. And we are always in love with, especially when it comes to athletes, we are always in love with new instead of the known. But in this case, it's the known and it solves uh, a problem here that's almost a decade long. So I love it for Denver. But why would, again, Seattle do this? Now, Shil Kapati, the athletic who I really like, we have on the show all the time, he brought up some stuff. And like I said, you can kind of pick at numbers and find a way to argue against a lot of quarterbacks. I saw something the other day where somebody was trashing Kyler Murray, and I thought, okay, fine. Like, you want to find some bad, bad Kyler stats? You can find them. You know what I would look at if I were Arizona? Hey, did we suck for a long time? Do we have a quarterback who we took number one who has been in the MVP conversation back-to-back seasons despite kind of falling apart there? And yeah, he was terrible in the playoffs against the Rams. Isn't that a little bit better than your first down QBR or something? You know, like I, I think that sometimes we can make it more complicated when the simple answer is that, yeah, I think we have a we have a, we've solved we have a solution now to our problem at quarterback. And that's what Denver did. Now, some of the bullshit. Let's get to that part of it because we can't help ourselves. The reports that <laughs> this is what Russell Wilson wanted. He only wanted Denver. I don't believe that. Now, he may have wanted Denver because he trusts uh, Elway, it's an awesome city. It's a great fan base. I mean, it's an incredible city. Anyone that's ever played there or lived there, they're just like, oh, this is great. It's almost underrated still, despite how many people seem to be moving there all the time. Um, but a year ago, we had that weird story about how Russell Wilson wasn't asking for a trade. It was that he wasn't asking for a trade. But if you were going to trade me, here's a bunch of cities that I would go to. New Orleans, Chicago, Las Vegas was involved. Um, and I think what it was, and I, what I had heard, is that his wife felt like she could be a bigger deal. They could be a bigger deal collectively in a bigger market than Seattle. I don't know that Denver necessarily solves that problem, so maybe it wasn't as important now. Then the story about how Washington actually potentially made a better offer. Um, maybe he didn't want to go play for Dan Snyder. I don't think that's a really hard thing to believe, but I don't think that it was only Denver, but that's part of the Russell Wilson package. It's the marketing package of every single sentence. Everything is crafted in a perfect way so that he's hopefully hitting a 10 out of 10 in every single statement. The problem is, is it becomes exhausting when that seems to be the structure of everything that you're sharing with us publicly. We don't feel like we ever really get to know the real you, and that's why I always find his interviews nauseating. But I also think it's exhausting to have that be the face of your franchise. And I think that's what happened here. I do. I think that's why they said, you know what? It's not about stats declining. It's not about getting two firsts and Noah Fant in a couple seconds. It's about this guy's been kind of pissed now for a little while. There's evidence to prove this. There's another big piece on the athletic going back throughout this entire timeline. Mark Rogers is the agent for Russell Wilson. He went to John Schneider a year or so ago and said, you know, we'd like to maybe kind of explore going another direction, not seeing eye to eye with Pete Carroll anymore. A little disappointed about the front office. Russell Wilson himself implied that the offensive line isn't doing a good enough job for him, which was a rear, kind of like a, a rare departure for Wilson to even express any negativity about any of one on his team. Um, and that he wanted more say. And then I think, you know, look, I think the star 
quarterback always wants a little bit more say until you realize, you know, no one really wants to listen to any of these guys day to day because it's not really the job. And if you don't do something when the quarterback tells you, hey, will you do this? It's even worse than just sort of ignoring them. So this stuff had been bubbling up, been bubbling up a lot. And apparently Schneider told off Rogers, the agent, and then Rogers went public with all this stuff to try to start to lay the bricks of the foundation of finding a way out. And there's also something that happened this year that's very specific. Whenever you look at some of the Russell Wilson content, if you can make your way through it, it there's sometimes like a, a goal of presenting himself as someone who's capable than just mere mortals. And be honest, this guy's crushed it, you know, doubted at NC State, uh, gets drafted middle rounds, takes over the gig, wins the Super Bowl, makes another one. He has been one of my favorite, like I've said, one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch. I usually argue him for the top five. I don't know. It's so crowded now. He's probably not there now. But you get the point. So I can understand anybody. It's kind of like the Isaiah Thomas thing. If Isaiah Thomas is a bit prickly at times, it's pretty understood because Isaiah Thomas, again, who's playing for the Hornets now, has had to put up with a ton of shit. So I get it. There's part of that that I'll always kind of accept. But for Wilson, I think he kind of saw his role as a football player as a temporary step to whatever that next thing is. And that can be really frustrating. And when you go back to the hurt finger, he came back for the Green Bay game. And I know that I've heard that the team was more like, is this because you want to prove you can play through injury? Or do you want to prove that you're somehow immune to normal human beings timetable for this kind of surgery? And that's what he kept saying, like, oh, you know, I'm I'm unlimited. I, the, the doctor said this. And I said, no, we're going to do it this way. And it was going to do it that way. And I think it pissed the team off because it felt like it was more about him proving that he could beat some timeline, even if he wasn't healthy or ready. And by the way, he was terrible in that game and they weren't very good down the stretch. And that's what I think happened here. You can tell me I'm wrong. I'm willing to believe I'm a little bit wrong here. But why do you trade a guy like Russell Wilson for this package now when he's still under contract for two more years? You probably get something close to it next year. You still have a chance for the playoffs, I'd imagine, if you're Seattle. Why would you do it now? I think it's because they just got tired of it. And I've got to be honest, I don't think that's hard to believe. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season, throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Danny Green of the Sixers joins us. I was worried, man. I was watching the other night, and I thought, oh, no, his finger's all messed up. Like, a, a, a vet doesn't cancel. A rookie would be like, I'm not doing this podcast. 
No, nah, I had none. I was gonna cancel because of a finger. Honestly, I would have kept playing if it allowed me. Um, but they didn't want the, the tissue to rip open again. And tomorrow, um, I think listed as out or questionable because another situation of letting the tissue heal. It uh, it was uglier than it. I mean, it hurt. I'm wrong. It hurt, but it looked worse than it kind of felt. I would say. Yeah, right. Because it was like you were. It, you get hit, and whatever. I could hear the announcers going. Ugh. And then you were just, you were in the back immediately, which is never a good sign. So look, there's a million questions I can ask you here. I'll, I'll try my best here to not be repetitive right. because we've all been fascinated by the Sixers, the story, everything that's gone along. So what's this season been like from the the starting point of the uncertainty to Ben being in and out of the conversation to then the trade happens? Like what's, what's the first half of the season been like for you and your teammates? Um, it was... A roller coaster ride, man. It was a lot of ups and downs. So we didn't know what to expect. Um, you know, we kind of wanted to. We were bought, last year. We thought we had a great chance of making the finals. Um, I believe that if I were if I were healthy, um, that would have helped. But for sure, I think we would have made it. But you know, we were right there, and I feel like we had everybody back and healthy that we could have did it this year. So we're coming in with the chip on our shoulder and the mindset of you know we're running it back. We got a good group. We were number one in the East. Um, so yeah, let, let's see what we can make out of this thing. And um, you know, then we weren't sure how it was gonna go with Ben. We weren't sure if he was gonna play. That happened like toward the end of the summer, uh, closer to season time. And then we're like, okay, well, this is a waiting game. We're gonna see if he shows up or not. We figured he'd show up and just not play and sit out or, you know, just wait to be traded. We didn't know how it was gonna go. Um, but obviously Joel's playing an unbelievable level playing well and felt like he had to carry more of the team was back. Tyrese became who he is now, you know, the emergence of a young star had to learn a lot, was throwing a lot at him, had to figure it out. We all had to figure out how to play out of position. Uh, Tyrese had to play in the dunker spot zone. Um, you know, the offense is falling a lot differently. So it was frustrating. You know, obviously we came in with a, a great positive mindset and we had won some games. We started eight and two, then we started losing some games. We went two and eight. And it became real frustrating. We had guys out with COVID and injuries, and you know we didn't have Ben. So it was it was a you know tough time. And and trying to guys figure out, trying to grasp it, going from last year being number one in the East and winning games even without guys being in, and also some guys getting the ball in spots that used to getting him in, myself included. I you know, had a career high in three point attempts last year. Uh, this year was not even close to that. And in some games coming in, coming off the bench, not playing, not knowing what the matchups are and who's going to you know, do what, where, um, it, was, it was confusing and frustrating. And then, you know, we weren't sure what was going to happen toward deadline, trying to see. Uh, to me, I thought, you know, we would never get a guy like James Harden. Once he was there, we thought he was locked in because we were like, How, who would we trade Ben for? You know, there's only guys we trade him for are guys that people don't want to give up. And, you know, we got lucky to where, you know, he became available on the market. And, and then it changed a lot of the narrative for us uh, for the rest of the season. I don't know if you can answer this, honestly, but would you guys actually debate different players that were rumored as if like, hey, that would be a good trade or I don't yeah. want to do that one? Um, we'd actually throw out some ideas out there of what could happen or who we could get, who would we get, who would you trade for? Um because we knew Ben wasn't happy there, so he wanted to find somewhere else. And we're like, all right, well, who can we get for him? Uh, we played a lot of different scenarios. Um, a lot of us, we did joke around. Not Some of us, like, you know, I'm probably going to be in that package. We won't be here. So, you know, it was good seeing you guys, that type of deal. 
Um, but yeah, we 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 just kept locked in and focused on what we needed to do. And we did have some fun with you know playing GM scenarios. Like we figured out which we're never gonna like. Some of us might be, but none of us are the GMs and don't make these decisions. But if we were, what what would we try to get? But who would we try to get? And uh, we also you know had some fun with seeing or talking to each other throughout the year and coming together on the plane. Uh, but also joking about us probably being a part of the trade. You know, some guys are like, oh, I'll probably be gone too. You know, if that happens. Um, but, you know, it's part of the business. All right, I promise the whole interview won't be this, but I, I have two other quick ones. Did you ever try just like have to have a heart to heart and, and say, hey, Ben, like I've been around a long time. Let's talk about this. Let's fix this. Come back. I think we all tried at different times uh, to reach out. So, yeah, that time where we were supposed to, we were supposed to fly to, so the flight to LA before the season, before training camp started, to talk to him. And I was going back anyway. It was my last weekend, and I, I have my house there. So I guess the other guys had other group of guys that had canceled, but they just weren't going to be coming because the team had, was going to set up something for us all to go. When they heard that he wasn't interested in having that meeting, they kind of just let the plans die out. Um, but I was going there anyway, so I did reach out. I don't know if his number had changed. I think his number might have changed at that point. I don't. I don't know, but. I reached out on a personal level and said, look, man, I mean, we can turn this thing around. But, you know, let's just sit down, let's have a talk. I'd send a couple of text messages at different times uh, throughout the couple of weeks of, of seeing where he was at. I hadn't talked to him in some months. The last time I spoke to him, I think I wished him either happy birthday or happy 4th of July or something like that because his birthday's in July. Um, and then from there, I didn't hear from him because I was checking on Joel in free agency, checking with Tobias. I talked to you know, most guys throughout the, the summer and I was checking with him, but I hadn't heard back. And then, um, of course, the rumors were out there. Then you try to check in with him. But um, the last few times that I reached out before he showed up, I had uh, reached out via text to try to have a sit down and talk to him. And so he just never got back to you until you saw him in person. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get a response. I think he might have changed his number at that point. Were you guys pissed when he showed up to the practice? It was like, all right, like he showed up, but he clearly. No, nobody was pissed. I mean, people were surprised. We didn't think, you know, he made it seem very much so just like Daryl, like, you know, put your seatbelts on. This may take a while. And he made it very, very much seem like, put your seatbelts on. I'm not showing up. Like, I, I'm going to, you know, stand on my, stand my ground and make this trade happen. So we did not think that he was going to show up. So when he showed up, we were shocked to see him. I think a lot of guys were happy and excited to see him. Like, you know, what's up? That type of deal. Uh, I don't know if he didn't give up that same energy of, of, of being, uh, I guess, excited about it. But, you know, it is what it is because he, he was in a situation where he wasn't mentally ready, healthy, and didn't want to play. Things weren't going the way, I guess, they planned him to. He was trying to get traded before the season. But, um, you know, he came in, he did a couple of days of training camp, and that's the, the, the media, what you saw in the media. And then um, that, after that, I think he was kicked out of practice and then it hadn't, been with the team since then. So where were you when you found out the deal went through for Harden? I was at the facility. I had just said goodbye to Drum. So Drum had just left, and I was putting on my jacket and clothes and hadn't, about to head to my car. Furcon came in and said, you know, the trade happened. We got Harden. And I was like, okay, who do we give up for him? And they're like, uh, Ben, Seth. I was like, damn, Seth. And he's like, and Drum. I was like, Drum? Like, wait. And he's like, and two picks. I was like, whoa, okay. Um, I said, that, that's a lot, but he's a good, he's a great player. You know, he's worth a lot. Um, but I was like, damn, we lost Drum. Now we need to find a, a backup big. And um, obviously, we're going to miss Seth. Seth's a great 
two guard, great scorer, shooter. Um, but you know, having James is going to open up a lot of things. And then we're like, you know, obviously I'm going to be here for some of those picks. Uh, who knows? I think one of them is 2027. Um, you're probably not worried about that right now. Yeah. yeah I mean, we're not worried about the future. We're worried about right now. So it's like, all right, cool. We got what we need. I was like, damn, I really wish we didn't have to give up drum. Um, but we're lucky enough to get DeAndre on the market. So, you know, he, he's a great, you know, backup center. You've gone up against Harden, you know, I'm sure numerous times. You know, you weren't always in the same conference, obviously. But what is it about seeing it every day? What is it about him that you see every day that you've learned that maybe you didn't know about him? His work ethic. Um, you hear a little bit about it. But I said to, to see some of these guys operate, some of these superstars, they're all different. Um, but, you know, you hear a lot of the stories of Harden. He likes to party, likes to do this and that. Um, not, it's not really true. Like, it's not like he's a party. He's not out there like that. You know, he is in the gym and he's working out, probably overly doing it a lot of times. And I'm like, save some for tomorrow. You have a game. I know you're a little younger than me, but this is your 13 for you too. And, you know, we're not, we're not getting any younger. We're only getting older. So save your body, you know, and he, he's, so you see him and they have footage of NBC Sports Philadelphia or the cameras of, of crew are following him. And you see him doing, you know, carrying sleds or running, you know, with a the, the bungee cord on him. Uh, and he's doing a whole workout and then getting shots up after. Um, so he's a, he's a, yeah, he's a workaholic, man. I, I did not know that about him. Uh, I didn't know how how much of IQ he had, how serious he was about the game. I just thought he was a great one-on-one talent, but he knows the game very well. I've noticed, and I always thought this was a bit of a struggle for Joel, and I'm a huge Embiid fan, all right? Mm -hmm. But it's, I think in today's game, it's harder to just go to the post and be like, get us that end of a playoff game bucket, you know, four minutes or less, because they're going to run a double. They're going to kind of run different doubles at him. And I think sometimes Joel gets dumped on because it's like, oh, cool. He swings it through and tries to get through all this traffic and he loses the ball. And you're like, well, okay, but do you see what's happening here? And I think sometimes it could be lack of spacing. I think sometimes it could be, you know, a point guard that's totally like locked in on setting up the entry pass to him. Cause I think that's been a struggle. I think even times when Ben was there, sometimes it wasn't, it wasn't always that smooth, mm-hmm. but now I would say even specific to the Chicago game, cause I've been trying to pay attention to kind of some of the things that you're doing. And it's almost like those first few weeks, you start to evolve more and more where people feel comfortable. Like oh, you're running some old school, like two man side of the court stuff now too. Yeah. Like I'm noticing it where I'm like, they're just running a two man game and, and keeping three on the other side. And if it's spaced out with you or, you know, obviously maybe Tybal isn't somebody thought traditionally stretch the floor. Tobias can hit shots. Merck can hit shots. You know, Niang can hit shots. It, it reminds me at least some of these early glimpses of it. I don't know if this is what you're going to do in the playoffs, but I mean, are you, are you constantly still with doc and, and the staff just trying to figure out ways to tweak how you can always have these two making the decisions? Uh, I'm not really in those meetings, man. Uh, they may throw to me defensive stuff. You know, Dan Burke will come to me like, you know, what do you think about this, this and that? But offensively, they don't really come to me. Uh, I'm not really part of the coaching staff, but sometimes I'm yeah, right. Yeah. to help, you know, get some messages, help guys, you know, be in the right spots and understand. We did do a lot of two-man game with Seth and Joel. Um, you know, I was system. You know, we have some parts of our system are a little old school. I think with James, it opens up and changes a little bit more the dynamic of that. Um, but, you know, we did leave a lot before James got here. We leave a lot on Joel's shoulders to make the right play. And it was whether he should still try to score for a double team or, or kick it out. And, uh, you know, he just started to begin to trust us more. Um, you know, even if we're missing shots, you know, if the double team comes, he was playing the game, getting deep seals, getting to the rim. But now he's rolling, but also kicking it out when the, when the, the kick out is there and at the right time and finding guys 
to where it keeps the defense, you know, honest and balanced. So they can't just keep doubling or they can't just go right away. They have to be hesitant because, you know, we got to shoot over here or a guy, Joel, fine. Um, so, yeah, but with those two on the floor, I think it's pretty easy for them to figure it out. Uh, and James said he high IQ basketball player, great point guard. He's going to get us in sets or get us in positions to where it makes him effective and all of us to be effective. And now Tyrese can play off the ball. It just makes him extremely dangerous. And, you know, it makes it easier for us guys around him to just be ready to catch and shoot. I was worried about Maxi because you just know how much isolation there is with Harden uh, and his style. And it makes a ton of sense, too, because the actions that he has. I think that's a false, uh, you know what I'm saying? I think people think that he's just, a, he's not an ISO player as much as, he adapt, he's a hooper. He adapts to a scenario, a situation. I think in Houston, he did a lot of ISO ball, but I think because he had to. But in Brooklyn, he didn't do all that. Uh, he does it sometimes in the clock if you need a basket or trying to get a three. Or, But most of the time, he's a pick and roll guy, and he's going to make the right play. And, and people, I think, misconstrue that he's just, a you know, he's going to, kind of put everybody else on the island and, or just one-on-one and have everybody else is watching. That, that's not the type of basketball he plays. And I, I said it, that's one thing a lot of people are starting to learn now. Yeah, I especially think with the action of Embiid that you have to respect like all the movements that Embiid, he's not just a Capella role guy, you know, mm-hmm. not knocking Capella, but like you knew you weren't going to have, you could always stay back, right? And with yeah. Embiid, it's like, all right, if you keep doing that, then he's going to figure you out and, and kill you from the mid-range. But the maxi part of it, it's still... I, w- I was looking at him like, look, he's just not going to have the ball in his hands as much with this. But then I think back to Kentucky and one of the cool things about watching him quickly were that I like guards that, you know, at times it's like, look, it's going to be my possession. You're going to play off of me. That's what I've, I've always kind of liked about CJ and Dame, even though, you know, we knew it was Dame's team at the time. But like CJ was good off the ball and they could kind of coexist. And seeing Maxi now, but these numbers are insane. I mean, he's not going to keep up this kind of three point shooting. But what? Well, he's like 60 something percent, I think, since Harden showed up. Uh, what is it about Maxi that that we would know if we were around him like you are every single day? That you wouldn't know? I, mean, I think a lot of those numbers, I mean, it's hard to keep that up regardless of who you are. But because of the fact that James on the floor, he doesn't have to operate with the ball. It allows him to just run. You know, he he, he loves to get up and down. He loves to get to the rim. Uh, but he's a lot more open. So that's why he's knocking down. It, they shift off him. They go under. That's the only way to stop him from getting to the rim. But because of those aspects of his game, it allows him to take his time and catch and shoot for great. And also with James, and Joel, he's able to catch it. Even Tobias is a lot more open than he thinks. He's not used to being that open because of the attention those guys draw. Um, but my, Tyrese is a, a workaholic too. That guy, I have to force him to stay out the chain. And I'm like, bro, you're playing 40-minute games. This is before James got here. I'm like, you need to save your legs. I don't care how young you are. That's a lot of minutes on anybody. You know, you, you got to take your days off and, and relax because we're going to need you tomorrow. We don't need any injuries coming up. So you know, he's one of those type of kids. He's great positive energy. I don't think anybody else would be right for the position to be able to play with Ben out and playing for Doc with so much just thrown at him to be able to handle it the way he did. You know, a lot of guys would fold. A lot of guys would take it negatively. A lot of guys wouldn't be able to you know, take take on that type of pressure or to be able to perform the way he's performed and with the, the same positive attitude. Uh, so he was the perfect fit for for us and you know for the situation, the scenario. Give me your favorite Embiid story. Uh, just getting to know him. You know, this, you've been there a couple of years, maybe your buddies being like, hey, what's he like? I mean, we get a glimpse of it that he's he's a fun-loving guy, but I think he's become, it kind of sucks for him because when when they when they've lost, then people get on his case about his personality. And mm-hmm. it's like, until you win, it's kind of like the Dirk thing. We had Dirk on recently. I was like, you were yeah. soft. And then as soon as you won a ring, you weren't soft anymore automatically, even though <laughs> you're basically the same player. But give me uh, give me one of your favorite Embiid stories to getting to know him. Um, 
you know, the first year he wasn't really opening up and out of sight of his shell, but it was good to, you know, be around him, learn how he operated. Um, I think the, the biggest thing, he loves old sports. So he, 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 I wouldn't say he's a gambler either, but he, he likes to take on gentlemen's, careful. <laughs> like to take on little gentlemen's challenges when it comes to other sporting uh, uh, or just basically cards. You know, we play some cards, and that's where you get to know each other. So on the plane, um, that's where I've got a chance to, to know him better. This this past year, I didn't play the cards last year, uh, but this year we played a, a quite a bit of you know, some card games on the plane. Um, it's where we get a chance to actually talk about, you know, personal things and learn about him on a personal level. And he's opened up a lot more. You know, he has this fun. He likes to joke around. He, he's a, you know, a, a big uh, goofball, man. He is when we play cards and we talk about, you know, life and other things, um, it's pretty funny to see. He likes to, he likes to poke at you. You know what I'm saying? He's one of those guys. He's going to challenge you, see what type of heart you have, see what type of competitor you are. He's obviously a troll and he does that in all aspects of life. Even when he's, you know, talking about, you know, other sports, other people's teams, other colleges, or even he's playing, you know, cards and, you know, he's either winning big or losing. He's going to talk trash to you and, and see if you're going to need your skin. Is there anybody that he gets really up for to go up against? Is it, is it Giannis? Is there somebody like when you know that game, regular season matchup? There's where it's a like- lot of guys. There's a lot of guys he gets up for. Um, and that's all the top guys. Giannis is one of them, of course, Rudy Gobert, I'm sure Jokic. Um, all the top bigs that they consider, you know, or a guy that they think is a defensive player of the year candidate could be Bam. You know, they say he's a great defensive guy. So he can be like, all right, well, if he's a defensive player of the year, I'm going to see what he's got. So he, he likes to take on a challenge of anybody that's that's got, you know, any good or name or anybody that's got some type of edge, I think, that or they, the media thinks or the coaching staff thinks they have an edge on him. It seems like he's trying to get Carl Anthony Towns to retire after, whenever he plays him. They used to go at it, man. He's just said so they're both competitors. Um, they they well they respect each other uh, now. Obviously, sometimes it takes a fight. Sometimes um, it takes it shouldn't take something tragic to happen. But the things that they cat went through during COVID um, allowed them to rekindle. They because originally they were friends to, to begin with. From my understanding, I could be wrong. Don't quote me on this. But from my understanding, I thought they were cool. But Joel just likes to troll and likes to compete and you know that and on the court go at it and they got into a fight and I, I guess, you know, whatever the bygones be bygones, so be it. Um, but then, you know, uh, something like that can bring guys that are enemies together. When you see, you know, the world or families or people that, you know, in your fraternity going through something, even if you guys aren't on the same page, um, it allowed them to kind of, you know, now they talk as they speak to hello, you know, not saying they didn't before, but they're definitely on a different wavelength now than they were you know, prior to COVID. <clears throat> when you look at the East, and, you know, I've, I've made this argument numerous times, is like, there's a lot of teams I really like, but I'm not sure. I mean, even Miami with the seed has missed their top three guys for over, I don't know, 25, 30% of the, te- of the season. You have Milwaukee that feels like every time I watch them, I go, okay, they, they should still feel like the favorite because they just won. Um, and they would argue Lopez. There's just missing pieces all over the place. And you've had your own challenges. Brooklyn certainly had theirs. So I think the easy answer is, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're ready to compete with anybody because, you know, we're, we, we see everyone else as equals. But do you have any sense when you guys are talking about the East? I imagine you probably argue about it just like we argue about it because there's still so much uncertainty, even as we're getting close to the end of the regular season. I wouldn't say argue about it, but we definitely we're aware, we're cognizant, we understand, respect everybody, but we do know it's kind of wide open and we do think that we're 
one of the better teams in the East and have a really good chance. Um, you know, we see how the matchups go. We talk about, you know, obviously when we first got James, we're like, you know, this James and Joel duo might be unstoppable. What would teams do to try to stop this? How are they going to try to guard this? What teams have the capability or the potential or the personnel to even stop this pick and roll? If Joel, Joel's rolling to the basket or James is coming up with, pick with him, you got to pick your poison. This guy's going to get a layup floater or a three. Joel's going to be rolling to the basket. You got to foul him or get out of his way or, you know, it's tough to stop that. And you had somebody big enough to, to protect the rim, finish the rim, be able to guard both. They'll switch on to James and be able to guard Joe in the post and also catch him at the rim. What teams are able to do that? Um, and it was very few. But so we, we believe that we're one of the better teams in the East when we're healthy and when we're playing our best basketball. We, we don't think that there's anybody we can't beat. But, um, yeah, we, we have our, we have our, let me say debates or arguments, but we definitely have our, our breakdowns, our you know, GM talk where we think like, okay, what can we do here? What, how we do this? Or what we need to beat this team? And, you know, the, or this team is good or this team is not as good as they look or seem to be. You know, they really can't beat us. So I'm not worried about them. Or this team would be a, a rough matchup in the first round. Or we'd rather see this team. You know, either way, you're going to have to see the better team. So it don't matter when. Um, but yeah, we, we talk about those things quite, quite often. Who would be the best GM out of the guys on the team? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's, that's an interesting question. Uh, that's a tough one. We have a lot of high, high IQ guys. Um, yeah. Like who's the most on it where you're like, oh, all right, you know, good point. Or you always seem to be right. There's a lot stuff. of guys that have good points at different times. I think, you know, George Yang is very smart, high IQ, has decent points sometimes. Joel is pretty good. Um, he, he's pretty on it a good amount of times. He has his opinion. It was a very strong opinion. Tobias is very smart, understands what's going on and how, how things work. Um, Trying to think if there's anybody else outside of who's the worst, then is really what I want to hear the answer to. You're huh. like, okay, you're just wrong about stuff all the time. Uh, I wouldn't say the worst. I would just say their opinion is in the minority more than is majority sometimes. It depends, but he also makes good points sometimes too. Um, probably George, maybe. Maybe George. I don't know. Me, Tobias, and, and George go, go at it quite a bit. And Joel is usually there. We're the ones playing cards. Um, most of the time and actually talking about those type of things. And I would say me and Tobias are usually kind of similar on the same page. George is usually on the outskirts. Uh, Joel sometimes will agree with us. It's, it's, it goes between us three a lot of times. If you look back at the start of your career, you know, you can even go further. High school, huge deal. UNC. And then it's always like a little tougher when a guy sticks around a little bit longer. And then you're thinking, oh, wait, like, when is he, is he going to be this pro? And then the beginning of your career is obviously, I would I think you'd agree, very challenging. You know, you're you're on the Spurs after just one year with Cleveland. And then you kind of find yourself a little bit. And, you know, we had Austin Rivers on last month and it was it was interesting, which I expected him to say, you know, I'm at some ranks, the number one high school player in my class. I go to Duke, I score points, I'm a lottery pick, and now I'm regressing my second year. And all of a sudden now it's you're a role player, play defense and don't take any of these shots. How hard was it for you to figure out how you fit in? Because, you know, it's it's actually a credit to you that you adapted your game to go, these are the things that I'm going to have to do. And now, you know, you would say over the second half of your career, you became one of those coveted three and D guys that everybody seemed to want. Yeah, well, throughout most of my career, I've had to do that. That's what's it's made it easier for me to adapt and adjust when I got to the league. Um, even in high school, I mean, I was very good, but we had a lot of great players on my high school team. I was never seen as the man. I'll get in the ball every time. I shoot every time. You know, I had to play my role on the team and fit in and, and do what my coach asked me. He never allowed me to shoot 20, 30 shots a game. I think most shots, 
15 to 18 shots a game, maybe 20 more career high, but it wasn't a bunch of shots. There's other guys that shot, shot the ball too. I didn't take 30, 40 shots. You know, I didn't take 30 shots a game. Um, and in college, of course, the same. I came in, I didn't start to my senior year. So that allowed me in playing around Tyler and then bringing in some of the top recruits each year. Ty, Wayne, Dion. We had five, six McDonald's All-Americans every year come in. Um, and you had to earn your spot. So they'll play with those guys, play around those guys, just adapt and adjust. So it allowed me to see that at an early age in high school and in college to learn how to, to do that then, to know that in the next level. I'm going to have to do the same thing. I have to be able to adapt and adjust. What was it about the Spurs? Like, what was it about their approach, the staff and everything that, that finds a way, I would say consistently, it felt like there for a couple of decades, that found the, found the way to unlock the best out of each player? Pop knew how to, he was, you know, that all of their coaching staff was, you know, pretty much chess players. They knew um, the right ways to motivate guys or get the best out of them. Um, but they made it a very, I wouldn't say militant atmosphere, but similar to that. It was a militant atmosphere where you, obviously we had fun winning, but you had to come and get your job done, make sure you get your hours in and did what they asked you to do. And they knew what your strengths were, find out what your weaknesses are, try to make those stronger. But they knew your strengths were and put you in a situation to where you can, I guess, showcase those things or just, you know, stick to your strengths or kind of just do your strengths on the court and you don't have to, you know, I don't say have to worry, but they put you in positions to where it, it can show or you just have to stick to your strengths basically on the court. And it made it easy. When we played basketball, everybody got to touch the ball, everybody got to play European type style basketball, but they wanted humble guys first. And so they, they made sure that you got your work and you did your job. You know, it was kind of a militant type atmosphere, but they also knew how to mentally and emotionally Manage egos to where they made you have an edge or come out with some anger attitude, whatever got to you, whatever pushed your buttons to make you perform. They're going to find out what that is and make sure that, you know, they bring that to you every day. You know, some guys play better when they're encouraged. Some guys play better when they're mad. Some guys play. So they found out, you know, what was the best ways to approach certain guys to get them to play their best basketball. That's what I've always heard about pop you know, during the, the real peak years and I would ask about it and this is years and years ago because I was just always fascinated by it. I'm like, what is it? And they'd be like this militant thing where it's, it's us against everybody. You guys, like, they gets you all pissed off and you're right because some people respond to it, some people don't. So I can see how some people would have a hard time fitting in. But what was it like for you when you first experienced it where you're like, wait a minute, this is totally different than every other place? Uh, I wouldn't say totally different because Coach Williams, I wouldn't say it was militant, but it, it was uh, some similarities. You know, and we had we got the same type of tough love. We got, you know, pushed to a certain way. He also, I don't know if he did it purposely, but he definitely found ways to get the best of guys. And it wasn't always in the most encouraging, loving way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, went, I was kind of used to it being, you know, Carolina said four years with Coach Williams and then dealing with Pop. Obviously, two different types of people, but similar styles of, of coaching um, and doing things the right way. And, you know, being intense and motivating you in similar ways. So um, it wasn't that new to me. It, it was easier to adapt to coming from, you know, where I was coming from in college. What do you think the Nets game is going to be like? I think that all depends on, I think it's going to be great either way. But I think it's depending on if he sits on the bench or not, it could be more hectic. Um, but I think it's going to be, it's going to be a great live game. It's going to be fun. Wish I could play in it. Um, this is one that I think everybody's kind of circled on their calendar, but I think it's going to be an amazing atmosphere, man. And, uh, some good basketball play. So I'm, I'm excited to see it. Are you and your teammates surprised he's not playing? Surpri I don't think anybody's surprised 
I mean, not on inside. Maybe some regular normal fans would be surprised, but I don't think any fans that actually watch the game and study or understand or been around Philly or been around um, long enough to understand certain personalities. But nobody in our organization was surprised, I, I don't think. Um, as Abi said, I'd be surprised if he does sit on the sideline because, you know, I just don't think anybody would want to come to a game and watch the sideline to go to get that type of, you know, harassment, you know. So, and um, so we'll see what type of atmosphere it is. And if he does on the sideline, I think it'll be pretty hectic. Yeah, I was reading that story the other day about how it was strategic that they would have him show up. And then they could argue that that's how untenable the situation was because you know he's going to try to get some of his money back. And I was like, oh, all right, that is next level stuff right there. Yeah, I don't know how that works. Um, I don't really have much of a comment on that, but I mean, you know what? Don't get in trouble. Don't add any. Don't you know? Don't worry about it. That'll be that's going to be interesting as well. So I don't know much about the law, but you know, I just know that the opposing teams come in, they boo, they boo us. Everybody gets booed. Everybody gets heckled. It's kind of part of the job, um, but said I don't know. Said I don't know the law or what kind of stature or what kind of. No, it would just be a grievance. It would just be a players' union thing. There's, it's about it's about the, the fines. You know, I actually did want to before I finish up ask you about that because mm-hmm. you know Westbrook's going through it now with the Lakers. Yeah. You dealt with it a couple years ago in the finals, the game five miss. What was that like to have it get to that level where it would death threats to you and your family? And not to make light of it, but, you know, gets to the point maybe you can be dismissive of it until you can no longer be dismissive of it. Yeah, I mean, I just remember being, when you're in it, you're kind of not yourself. You're not able to be yourself or, or you know, it's just a strain on you, you know, mentally, emotionally. Um, I feel for him, you know, because he's playing, ba- it's a basketball game. And to be, and I would say, you know, Philly fans are tougher more, they're tough to deal with more in person than internet. You know, LA is a more national scale to where all LA fans, not just in LA, but all over the world are, you know, trying to harass you via social media, bullying you in every city you go to. We have a lot of LA fans in every town. So it's just more magnified um, on a social media sense and, you know, kind of in person. So for him, he's probably going through it on both sides. So it's, it's rough when you're going through it, man. You, you kind of, I wouldn't say out of body, experience but I, I already know like it's hard for him to get back to a place where he feels comfortable being like being himself even playing his style, style basketball because so much is on his shoulders so much is on his mind um which is a sh- it's, it's a shame man because he's a great player he's an unbelievable player he doesn't deserve that he's one of the top 75 for a reason one of the greatest in history to ever do it and um you know it's not his fault that that things don't go well, you know what I'm saying? Or things didn't match up or come out to what expected to be. You know, he's still doing what he does, maybe not as a level that he used to do in OKC, but he's still what he did in, in, in Washington. Um, just because it doesn't fit, he, he didn't make those moves. He didn't say, you know, let me put this team together. He didn't put his team together. He, just, they, he was brought in to play with these guys, and sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And you can't just blame, put it all on one person. And uh, he's getting a lot of heat for it, which I think is unfair. And said so even if he wasn't playing well, he's still a, said a great player and top seventy-five. End of the day, people were disrespecting that that part of of his name. Danny Green inside the green room is his podcast. It comes out every Wednesday. And uh, get that finger healthy. I can't wait for the Nets game. All right. Appreciate it, man. Same. Um, hopefully back in a couple of days.
This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, that means real experts are checking your sneakers every stitch down to the sole. They'll even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Before we get to life advice, got to share with you another bench save at Equinox recently. Uh, saw this one coming from a mile away. So here's the situation. I'm getting loose, just doing a little incline on the Smith machine, which I know, save your jokes, but when you get a little bit older and you go heavy on the normal incline, you feel like stuff's just going to rip out of the socket. I don't know. It's just an uncomfortable angle for me. So I sometimes I do Smith and warm up if I want to go heavier. So I'm sitting and I'm watching a guy, and he's got twin fives on the, on the flat bench. So 45 for the bar a five and a five on one side and then a five and a five on the other. So we're up to 65 pounds and collars, double collars, just in case those fives get a little wobbly. It's like me in high school. Let's go. Yeah. And, and again, <laughs> this is not a judgment zone here. This is uh, what is our, what our stance is very clear on this. Our, our mission state, if you're in there and you're doing the work, nobody should be giving you shit about anything. So I was watching him and he was banging him out. He may have done 12 sets. And at one point, he's like, okay, this is light for me. I don't know what he does for a living. He had an epic home over, but his girlfriend was there too. And I don't know if it's my old lifeguarding days, just scanning the horizon. Something was amiss. Something. <laughs> and I watched him and he, I go, okay, so this guy's banging out 12 reps of 65 here. And he's not on the four set program. This guy just goes, he's going to failure. He's going to be there all day. And then he said, fuck it. I'm going to throw on a couple 25s. So I was like, whoa, he's going from 65 to 115. Like this guy's really going for it. I was like, okay, so maybe that's just an intense warm up. He gets, he gets 80 so reps of, of, of 65 out. And he's like, all right, now start, let's start packing on the mass. And he brought it off. And kind of held it, and that's when reality kicked in as he was holding it locked out over <laughs> over his chest. Maintaining. Yeah, and he's like, this isn't going to go good. <laughs> but my man went for that rep, and that thing was never coming off of him. He'd still be there right now. And so I don't know why I did this <laughs> asshole action hero move, but I got up and threw my hat down. <laughs> Like that needed to happen. And then I did step right over his chest, Iverson, Ty Lu style. And then one while, I'm, so while I'm straddling one him over his <laughs> so body. You're facing him. You're facing face, him. Facing him. My groin is 
about his stomach area and I, yeah. I one armed it off of him oh, boy. and threw it back on the rack. Uh, did you have to one arm it and show him off? Uh, that's I feel like you, you one upped him there a little bit. I didn't mean to I didn't go into it saying I'm gonna one arm this guy. <laughs> but it was it was going bad. And I I was like I, and I wish somebody else I don't know why other guys don't notice it, but I, I wish somebody else had seen it. It was pretty slow. Cause I would have locked yeah, eyes did. with somebody else that would have been like, Yeah, that was the most predictable thing that was ever gonna happen today <laughs> in the state of California. So I one arm it off him, rack it again, and I give him a hey. And he was he was a bit like, you know, but he was he was great about it. And I was like, hey, man, we got you, you know, positive because it's a horrible, horrible feeling. <laughs> I had it happen to me when I was younger. You feel like the biggest fucking loser. Some guy you don't know has to help it off of you. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you what, his, he was he went right back to twin fives. And I think he repped out another 50. So he found his comfort zone. You tell him, really- like, hey, next time you're feeling this adventurous again, just like call me over don't don't go at it solo no be a hero no no (laughs) i didn't want to do it (laughs) but the problem is is there's still the one guy that's the strongest guy in the gym like easily reps 405 reps it and he's just a really strong motherfucker and he asked me to help him one day and it's when i thought i had a sports hernia so anything i did that i pulled up in front of me felt like my my groin was ripping apart and so i was like hey i can't help you this is the one thing i can't do and he kind of gave me a look like huh all right. You're better than me. Yeah. yeah like, oh, <laughs> like I'm stronger than you. You know that. Like, because I'm stronger than you, you don't want to spot me. And I'm thinking, like, no. You man, don't want to help gonna... me get stronger than I already am? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no way. I wanted to help. I wanted to be there for that. I would have been like, even liney on the last one going, no, dude, I barely touched it. Barely you, touched yep. it. It was good beers later. We could talk about how I barely touched it. <laughs> do we have something else that we want to do? Do we just do five minutes on Chet Holmgren? Because I watched both of the tournament games back-to-back days his first eight minutes against san francisco he plays drop coverage shows on the screen drops defensively perfectly a guy went left side up and under to bring it on the right side he blocked it with his other hand after contesting it with his left hand he then did a spin through the lane with the ball off a dribble so like not a full 360 dunk then paused on a on a lane dive dunked then pulled up, hit like an NBA three, form was perfect, then jumped a passing lane and led the fast break. We all know his body is weird. And I would admit there's a little <laughs> hunched overness to him, which isn't really a word that I'm kind of like, why does he kind of move that way? But Saruti, I will pass the mic to you. Your Chet Holmgren position today in early March is. Yeah, I mean, as a guy who... Magic are going to be in the mix, dude. They're probably going to have the worst record. So there's a good chance they end up with the first pick. There's a good chance that they have to make this decision. Uh, I've I've dived into the chat thing a little bit. Definitely have watched some highlights and been like, wow, this guy's super skinny. He checks off just about every like red flag box, right? Skinny white guy from Gonzaga. Uh, the Porzingis comp. Um, you know, what is he a center? Is it whatever? But he, man, he every time he fills up the stat sheet, he's good defensively. And I'm comparing to other guys in the class, too. And I go, if you're talking about Jabari, you know, I've seen stats about how what he's got basically like he doesn't dribble. He doesn't he's, he doesn't dribble at all. He doesn't he's not a playmaker. Um, I know he's good defensively and his, his comp is like Rashard Lewis. I just don't know. Do you take that guy with the first pick? So I leaning towards Chet filling up the stat sheet. I know the body's weird. He also looks like a magic player. He just like I, I just see him in a magic jersey which probably might mean he's a bust, but I lean towards Chet just because I just don't know that anybody in this class does all the shit that he does. 
and I'll deal with the body situation and hope he could just figure out playing center because I think that guy has obviously more upside than anybody in the draft. And I just don't know. I've heard a lot of smart guys talk about Jabari and why they like him. I know Tate, uh, Tate Frazier loves him, Kyle's guy. But I don't know. I just worry about guys that can't play make if I'm taking that guy with the first pick. So I, I'm leaning Chet right now. I'm actually hard. I'm hard in Chet's corner for the first well, pick right now. Hmm? Phrasing. I can't My believe bad. the Magic have this bad a record. It's great because they're actually fun to watch, but they're terrible. So yeah. So yeah. it's it's the best of both worlds. I mean, now this is hopefully the last year, but if you get Chet added to that core, like that team is ready to go. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to be like a you know, you know, winning playoff series next year, but like that's a that's a squad if they get a guy like Chet in there. And I think he's a good fit for them too, man. I think he is because they don't need another ball handler. I mean, maybe you could argue that Jabari would be good for the Magic because he doesn't need the ball in his hands and he can impact plays that way. But Jabari's going to be good anywhere he goes. All right, like I think Jabari is the surest thing, but I don't think it's crazy to suggest that Chet has the highest ceiling. But no, I don't. Be think really that. hard. For, it'd be really hard for me as a GM if I had the number one pick going. You know, if you get the Chet thing wrong, it's going to be because hey, this guy fucking broke down, and I it's my long-standing like I said, theory. I think some of these bodies have gotten too big for how amazing they move, and that's why we have more injuries with some of these bigger dudes. But I also think Jabari checks a lot of boxes, and honestly, the most frustrating part of his game is Auburn's, Auburn's guards uh, ignoring him for long yeah, stretches. That's so, college hoops, though. So there you go. And then but, you watch Bancaro against you know, despite the North Carolina game where they fell apart there at the end. I mean, he had stretches in that game where it's just, it's, I can't wait for this draft. And I've talked to, you know, I've talked to people that have said, hey, after, after number one, it's IV two. And I'm just like, all right. Um, do you think it's team dependent? Do you think like, do you think there's going to be a consensus? Do you think it'll be Chet once we get there? Or do you think like, based on whether the Magic, the Pistons, you know, Det Detroit, or I should say uh, Houston, like, do you think it's going to be dependent on who has the first pick for who goes number one? A little bit. But I do think the league, the reason people get mad about the mistakes i think a lot of times look mistakes are gonna happen in the draft but what i'd say is, is that it's so hard to get somebody really special as it is that there are teams that are gonna go yeah but we know who this guy is and this guy's really good and we love this guy but if, man if chet were to just put it all together and he's gonna fill out just science he's gonna fill out like this is the guy that can be like an absolute game changer and that's why i i would bet I don't know. I was going to do it the other day. I was going to just start because, you know, it's so hard to get, hey, can you send me your top five and tell me about one or tell me all this stuff? I don't know. It's too, it's still too early for me. The reverse of that, though, is true, Ryan, right, too, though, because, like, if he busts, you go, oh, yeah, he had, I mean, body type, like, what, like I said, all the red flags that I pointed out before, like, I feel like either way you can convince yourself once we actually know if he's good or not that, oh, this was a great pick or no, it was a bad pick based on what the evidence is. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that one. I I mean, that's kind of like the Przingis thing. The reason why he went fourth, even though other teams loved him, it's like, okay, but if I take Przingis and he sucks, it's yeah, like, how fired. could you take, yeah, how could you take him? Okay. All right. Life advice, life advice, rr at gmail.com. couple follow-ups here. think that are worth sharing with the community. The guy who left the eight-minute sex voicemail, he We're got back. the loan. He got the loan. Nice. Wow. Yeah. All right. Never so, a doubt. Matt said it was never brought up, which he knows that's a hundred percent chance that the guy listened to it and then approved the loan. That was his theory. Because it was never discussed because that means he listened. Another thing, we had a million people follow up, millions a lot, probably not a million, Kyle, but a million people follow up about the guy who was pissed about getting carded at 31 years old, I believe, and he had a couple kids with him. Uh a lot of people from the service industry chiming in saying, fuck that guy. 
They were upset. <laughs> they were upset about me not understanding some of the bylaws. And I would, I, I'll tell you, look, I've never worked. That's right. Yeah, I've never worked for a chain. And I'm probably a little too influenced of the time of working mostly my years as, as a college bar guy. Uh, although I did have a couple summers on Martha's Vineyard and it was incredibly strict. Like we had to be really, really strict about it. So I should have thought of it that way a little bit, but there were a lot of servers that would go, Hey man, check it out. Like we have, whether they're called spotters or just people that come with a fake ID on purpose. One guy said there's a DEA people that come through his like, like tourist like attraction a secret area. shopper or right. something. And then on top of that, if you're with one of these brands, like Applebee's doesn't fuck around, which I think everybody knew anyway. Right. If when you go to these places, like that's the whole point. It's like they don't want to get busted. And if they get busted, the liquor license. And then they said that some servers even get arrested. I mean, that would have been Jesus. I, like the first time, the first one I read, I was like, all right, this is ridiculous. And then I kept reading more and more of them that Kyle had sent in saying, no, no, like I've, there's somebody who got arrested here. Or somebody got arrested at this other bar for serving somebody underage with a fake ID that was all a setup just to try to bust the place because there's, like we had liquor inspectors and stuff, but everybody knew she went out once a month on Friday and didn't show up until 11. And then she, and sometimes she drank. So, you know, it wasn't, she would like inspecting the liquor. Yeah. She would bust one place and then out of the day, she must've had like a cousin in town hall or something like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't the most, um, what a great in. gig. You get to hang out in bars all day and then yeah. maybe, yeah. maybe bust them or maybe just be cool. We got in trouble at our house once. She came by and she told us how she, she mows her lawn and her tractor naked. So, you know, we didn't really know where it was wow. going. Yeah. But okay. we were like, so does this mean she was like, just have quieter parties, you idiots. Like, all right. No problem. Okay. Uh, so, all right. Good follow up stuff there. We got a couple here. Brother-in-law with sticky fingers. Five, nine, one eighty. On most Sundays, we go to my wife's parents' house for cookouts and drinks. It's usually a great time. Yard games. The kids play with their cousins. So on. I love a good cousin hang. I miss mm. those. You know what I mean? Everybody's deep with the roster of cousins. My siblings and I, we can be like one kid. All right. Um, we like craft beer, but her parents don't, so we usually bring our own. One of my wife's brothers, let's call him Frank, he's usually there. He's a beer drinker, too. The problem is he's, it's always our beer. Some context on Frank. He's a good guy but he's definitely weird about money. He's in finance and earns almost twice as much as my wife and I. He's in his mid-20s, has little debt. He's already maxing out his retirement savings each year. All good things, just atypical for his age. When I read that one, I went, okay, that's, you know, that's good. Good for you. Max out. Get those IRA started, kids. Early 20s, be fucking laughing at your buddies. It's just accruing wealth. All right. He only heats his house to 58 degrees in the winter. All right. Wow. That, and we've now pivoted to a different level. That's different. All it. right. He'll refuse to run an errand down the street because he doesn't, quote, want to put miles on his paid off truck. So this isn't even a lease situation. Paid off truck. I remember there was a girl at ESPN. Very attractive. And she was like, do you want to go to this thing in New York City with me? And I was like, you know what? I don't really like doing this <laughs> after uh, some experience dating in house, should we say? It's not always a great time. It's not so much the dating. It's when you're not dating. And you still work together. Uh, but I thought, you know what? I go, I'll, I'll, I'll head into the city to this event with the person. Picked her up, drove her in, didn't go anywhere. And somebody was like, she was over her miles and had to return her lease. And I was like, wow. Ouch. Wow. Fucking ouch. <laughs> wow. Incredible. incredible. 
Again, I didn't think I wasn't. My expectations were very, very low. But I was like, this is aggressive. Hey, do you want to go to this thing? Do you want to drive to the city together? Done. No problem. <laughs> Drop off. All right. See you around the shop. Somebody's like, yeah, our car was, her lease was due. And she didn't want to pay for the extra miles. Okay. All right. So to sum it up in the emailer, he sees everything in dollar signs. It's happened repeatedly. We'll bring a six pack and he'll help himself to a few. So we started just bringing two or four for us, but he still drinks a couple. He never asks. When my wife asked him to bring his own drinks, he did, but he still drank ours instead. Uh, he still drank ours instead of the light beer that he brought. Jesus, this guy sucks. The 58 degrees thing. Once I read that, I was, I, I'm totally on your side. Um, on another occasion, when she confronted him for drinking three of our four beers, he got defensive, citing a time when he gave us a few logs for a campfire. <laughs> mm, good trade. <laughs> Fuck you, Frank. <laughs> What's a cord of wood going for these days? <laughs> probably what he said too <laughs> i imagine it's you know with the lumber prices you've been tracking that stuff i hope holy shit our guy says in parentheses i'm not the snobby guy that hoards beer if someone asks i'll gladly share with him he doesn't and it's starting to affect how much i enjoy the rest of the night i'm stuck i don't want to be possessive or react to something that's small in the grand scheme of things but it happens so often that i think something needs to change should we stop bringing our drinks and just do sober cookouts some people can't handle stuff with the family sober um if you're my family, nobody drinks at any of the things. Like it blows my mind when I'll I'll be like, hey, what went on at Easter? He's like, oh, I got hammered and screamed at my uncle. I think that's normal. It blows my mind to think of my immediate family when we did see each other to say like, hey, what happened? I'd be like, oh, my brother blacked out, fucking screamed at my sister. Like it's just, it's it's an impossibility. Um, so it sounds like you're like, hey, I could just show up and not bring drinks Sunday. Sober cookout. Sounds like you can handle that. Other people can't. I would think it's fine. Uh, should we stop bringing our drinks? And all right, we already covered that one. Good stuff here. Should we continue ignoring, knowing it isn't worth starting family drama? Should we throw down? I have the pounds in reach, but he has the quickness. That's why he pointed out. Oh, wait, excuse me. This changes the entire email. His brother-in-law is 59180. Our emailer is 63210. Get her done. Normally, I would say, hey, you're going to go with the brother. It's your sister. or Excuse me. It's your wife's brother here. He's older, right? Is it, is it worth it? Um, yeah. He's gotta be, he said, he said mid-20s. He's got to be older. Yeah. The, he said the brother-in-law is mid-20s. I'm yeah, guessing this saying. guy's bit, a little older. Yeah. I would, I would do something, and I would do it once, <laughs> and I would make a show of it. I wouldn't fight. Okay, but I would... I would make a show of it. Like I would hook up a Yeti cooler. That's one of those six pack ones. And I'd put a sign on the front of it saying, you know, you and your wife's name is beer. And just do an absolute like mental hazing. Fuck you to him in front of everybody else because he's wrong. There's no one that's listening to this right now. That's like, nah, I can kind of see his point. All right. He's bringing his own cheap beer so he can drink your expensive beer. This guy is so fucked about the money thing that he's leaving going. I came in with a six dollar investment, had three IPAs. Those are about 18 bucks at a pub. I just made twelve dollars in my head on that transaction. I'm up and he's getting off on that. That's how that's how fucked up. Super, super <laughs> cheap people are about this stuff. And we all have friends that do it. You know, the bottle service in your 20s and 30s. And if you haven't figured out your life, 40s where you you're like wait somebody didn't kick in and the guy know the guy who didn't kick in knows he didn't kick in but he's kind of thinking like wait we got this amazing thing i didn't even have to throw in a couple hundred bucks and then you're thinking like hey this is per diem it's free money i'm gonna get a hoodie at the gift shop i'm gonna 
I'm going to do something at the airport I wouldn't normally do. I'm going to buy some AirPods, you know? So this guy needs to be humiliated as strong, <laughs> but there needs to be a reckoning because he's an asshole. He's an asshole. And yeah. again, if this helps, have him listen to this part of the podcast. He's wrong. He's wrong. You don't get to go through life. Like you want to be cheap and max out everything in your life that affects you. Go ahead. It's admirable. More of us should do it. But when you start to do it where you're like ahead of the game by fucking over somebody else and it's your family, you're right to be annoyed because the annoyance chips are stacking up to the point you had to write us this email. I would do something where maybe you put him in a cooler and you stand next to it. When he comes over to grab one, you just shout his name out and be like, hey, he's grabbing one of our beers. That's one. <laughs> like, did you bring any? Oh, you didn't bring it. And you can maybe laugh about it. Maybe it's a joke, but it isn't a joke, is it? No. Deep down, this isn't a joke. So, all right, I've spoken enough. Kyle. Uh, I was going to do that. First of all, it's not that thing where it's like, uh, I don't know if my wife going to give me the eyes like his wife has already brought it up. Like this is you're already miles ahead of the part where you're even wondering if you should do something. The question is, what the fuck are you going to do? Because she's already brought it up to him multiple times and he's gotten defensive. So it's not like she's like, just don't we don't ever tell. No, you got to do something. Frank, no. Yeah. You gotta make it off that. Yeah, it's not that situation where it's like, oh, nobody tells Frank no. Like, it's not that. She's already been like, Frank, what the fuck are you doing? So I, I thought it would be almost easy if you, like, name-tagged his beer. It's like, all right, we brought we brought a sixer. We figured we could spare one for Frank. So everyone, this one's Frank's beer or something like, you know, you could put, like, a name tag on it or, like, the one the one yeah, with the, the marker on it. We had to write Frank's name on his beer. He just has trouble remembering which ones he brought. So uh, we we budgeted one for Frank too. Like it's it's almost easier to to do that as well. I just think I think you have to do something. And yeah, it's got to be he's the butt of the joke. It's not a terribly mean joke, but everybody gets it. So I think I think yeah, any version of of that is good. Yeah, he's kind of he's that guy that you know like especially because he's in his he's in his mid twenties as you were saying. So like sometimes those guys like you know especially if you don't grow up with money like you, you're still kind of like even if you have money when you're twenties, like you're still like kind of like saving stuff. And you don't want to overextend yourself. It's just kind of a habit that you're in, but he seems like the guy who's like, I have to win every transaction guy, which if you have one of those guys in your friend group, when it's like nickel and diamond bills and trying to like make money off of your other friends, bills and going out to dinner and stuff like that, that guy is a shitty human being and absolutely needs to be put in his place. So I'm, I'm with you guys. You got to confront him. It's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. It's more just like, this guy needs to be knocked down a rung more than it is like about the money. So I would say find a way to like, I'm wondering like, what's he bringing? He's probably bringing like Keystone light to the, to the party. Like what if you just didn't buy any beer and see what he did? Does he drink his own beer? The, the bring his own cheap beer to show that he's like, no, I'm good, but now I'm going to drink the better stuff. Red flags all over the place here. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't know if you wanted me to answer that or, or you I should just, use no. the bring beer to show what kind of cool beer you like, not to be like, well, here's some beer you should yeah, or you could bring like the worst shoes. How about this move? The worst beer steel reserve go below what he's red doing. label. Red well, dog. Natty, well, Natty light red dog. Excuse me. Red dog. Now, non-alcoholic. Oh, duels. Breaks of all duels at the party. Yeah, let's go. Heineken 0.0. <laughs> like, yeah, I man, help he, yourself. Yeah, was that, does he know? I wonder if he like knows the specific IPAs or if he doesn't care. Like, tell him maybe you buy him like a a, a six pack of something that's non alcoholic and tell him it's like this really cool IPA and see how he reacts. Or the darkest wheat beer, just like cottage cheese. Sour. Yeah, yeah. Newcastle, some some honey cinnamon thing that they love in Germany that you don't we don't quite get, but when you're over there, it tastes good. All right, 
Okay, uh, we don't have another life advice. We have something far more important. Kyle, Super Bowl fraud. All right. Um, our guy's writing in. He said six foot seven, two twenty-five. He knows who the frolic room fraudster is. Oh, nice. Our guy is a bartender. So we haven't said the guy's name. People, uh, people have gotten the name right. We've they had a lot it. of emails. People figured out who this person was. So um, he defrauded investors in New York in the 80s and 90s and changed his name uh, around 2001 and then did the same thing in Maryland. He then got six and a half years of jail time in 2007 for a Ponzi scheme. Aha. Uh, here's, here's a link to the article. I can't find the picture anywhere. It's like he was able to scrub completely off the internet. If you want to send me a picture of him in one of your bars, I can confirm the age. Anyway, he goes, here's the point. In 2005, 2007, that time frame, he goes, I worked at a restaurant. Uh, I don't, I'm just not going to name it. You know what I mean? We've already Fine. shared enough here. He goes, and this quote, art dealer would come in every day, literally every day and pound four glasses of wine. Then leave saying he had meetings with investors or clients. Normally he'd come in at 11 a.m. when we open, hang out, for an hour, then sometimes come back later. He'd buddy up to all the bartenders and servers and hung out with other alcoholics that work and drink there. He always tipped really well because we would only charge with one glass of wine, $10 check, $30 tip. So he could have run over someone in the parking lot. We wouldn't have cared as long as he kept tipping <laughs> in cash. All right. I know some of you may not love that. I love the honesty with it. Okay. So he always paid in cash every single time, not one credit card in two years. Credit cards, 2005, 2007, they were around. They're around, around. All right. So we're all degenerate. So we get off work and he'd slide, he'd sidle up to our group and drink with us for hours. He was a smooth talker and seemed knowledgeable at different subjects. After hearing you describe him, Kyle, his behavior and mannerisms, I immediately thought it was this guy. Wow. Um, he passed himself off as a high class art dealer investor, but he really just seemed like a lonely weirdo that wanted friends. Again, yes. we were able to look past this oddness because he was funding our habits with nice. his cash tips. And we didn't know that we were indirectly taking grandma's 401k. So I know there'll be a lot of judgment about this email. Just bear. You got it. This guy's not trying to say he sounds awesome with it. He was younger. He was bartending. Yeah. And this guy tipped a lot. All right. Uh, he goes, we stopped seeing him in 2007 and wondered what happened. He just vanished. A ghost. A couple of months afterwards, we heard he'd been arrested and was awaiting sentencing. Um, and then we saw him in the newspapers. And he goes, one of the bartenders actually visited him in prison. Wow. So that's your guy. That's any word, any word on him. Um, he hasn't been in. He even stopped going into some of the surrounding bars. But I mean, I was just in there a couple days ago and my guy's still behind the bar. Shout out to uh, Blade. He still gets he still gets pictures. He's like, oh, there he is. He was on the street today and we all have a good laugh and uh, we'll probably not see him. And he's he stopped going to the the block, uh, the bars in a few block radius. But um, he's still he's still around. I think he still lives around. So I really don't so know just, how this is going to end. I know how it's probably going to end, but uh, maybe not with the frolic room specifically. Yeah, some. Well, I know somebody's been. Somebody actually did give him some money, and uh, we didn't even want to know how much it was. But oh we know, no, really? But it wasn't for Super Bowl. It was for something else. And so I think there's like Art. a couple. There's a PI involved, like, and there's like maybe no, some man. people trying to. I think the cops were called, and they were like, "That's ah, not enough money for us to really do anything." So I think they're trying to get. There's like stuff in the works, but I mean, who knows? That's not great. Not great, Bob. Not great, Bob. I told you guys I saw the not great Bob actor, right? We talking like about Bob? Recently? Or, uh... Yeah, the guy that plays Bob. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> Did it you say anything? Lot. Oh, it took I don't a lot to not. He is about <laughs> like, every time somebody sees him, they say that exact line. He's probably pretty annoyed by that at this point in his life. Yeah, I would think... I would think... 
um, <laughs> somebody else. Like, do it, guy. So, do it. Do the thing. Do the thing. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't do the thing. Pete Campbell says <laughs> that's true. It, so. He's just by. That's right. Yeah. Right. So they just say I, not great. Bob I would. Um, yeah, Bob Benson, and it's James Wolk. James Wolk. So I was thinking about two. this the other day. Yeah. Would you want to be known as like? So that guy's obviously famous for like a very specific reason. Like I saw a video on Instagram of like the, the Jake from State Farm guy, and he's just Jake from State Farm now. And that's what he's going to be for the rest of his life. Like he can't act in anything else because he's always going to be. It's like Flo from the Progressive commercials. Like, would you be would you be cool with that? I'm sure they make a ton of money. But well, Flo was a stand up comedian. Flo was a stand up comedian and actress. And I, I actually think she did pretty well. And ironically enough, Flo was in Mad Men early she on. She was somewhere. She was, that's where I was. Yeah. That's where yeah. I saw her. Right, right. She How about was one the, of the first operators? Jake? What about the first Jake from State Farm? That or the that frumpy guy who just was like, ah, I'm Jake oh, hey, from State Farm. He got the boot. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll say this. I'll say this, and it's dangerous knowing State Farm's a sponsor. Is Jake from State Farm too jacked? People are asking. The Smedium? <laughs> Did it have to be a Smedium? State Farm's he might doing be, them custom t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, he might be a little... I don't know what the... Cu- I'm not afraid of a, a small shirt, but uh, I don't know if that's what I want out of my insurance guy. Like, wait, are you looking at my policy? Are you covering every angle? Are you keeping up to date with any of the stuff? Or are you, you seem real busy. Are you just doing <laughs> buys and tries all the time? <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't say anything. I, I, I've imagined that old uh, Jimmy Wolk here has had a few people say not great Bob to him, and it's it's so fucking annoying. And uh, I did not say anything. I, did, I didn't yeah. say anything. I, I, I knew you wouldn't. Yeah. I, I let it go. Now, if it were... 130 and he were out with other guys and we were with our buddies <laughs> would somebody go up and be like hey how's the service and what of my friends scream not great bob you know like yeah there's a good chance that could have happened but yep. the, this is the middle of the day just a guy was running his errands waiting on a smoothie just like i was and i was like there's no there's no way uh i'm gonna do this he's a really good actor by the way he nails that bob benson thing you see so, a little head nod you're like you know I know. I know the deal. Hey, 6'2", <laughs> huh? Nice, buddy. <laughs> oh, man. A lot of people wish they were 6'2". Okay, that'll do it for the podcast today. Thanks to Kyle and Steve. And make sure you subscribe to the Ryan Russillo Podcast. Bring her Spotify, Sundays with Bill. We'll be back next Tuesday. Bye.